This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 28. Anchors away, my boys. Anchors away. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I am super excited about this episode of the show. Today, I'm interviewing a good friend of mine, Nico Navarro. Nico is a Facebook ad specialist that works out of New York City, and he has a really interesting take on a lot of stuff. He is a member of the U.S. Navy Reserves, hence my little jingle at the beginning of this episode, and he has found very similar to my buddy Arvind Budram back in episode seven has found an interesting way to give himself some challenges and try to put a system in place to wake up earlier in the morning as well as a couple of other things that he has chosen to work into his life recently that's had a pretty dramatic effect and a pretty dramatic change in his life. It was really interesting stuff. I I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do as well. In the show notes of the page, I'll have a link to ways that you can find Nico in the world of the social medias, otherwise known as the interwebs. But with that being said, I don't want to get too much into it. At this stage, I really enjoyed this chat. I hope you do as well. Without further ado, I bring you Nico Navarro. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Nico, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, I was just kind of giving the audience a little bit of your background during the introduction, but obviously none of them know you at this point, or maybe maybe none of them know you at this point. So why don't I just sort of hand the mic over to you, um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and we'll just sort of go from there. Sounds good to me. So Jason, thank you so much for having me on the Small Moose podcast. Um, a little bit of background about me. I am 27 years old. I run my own social media marketing agency focusing on Facebook advertising. Um, I am in the United States Navy, um, an Eagle Scout, and I'm a proud brother of two younger uh, kids, and I've got an awesome uh, mom and dad. And just overall, I I just love to experiment and try different things out um, with my life, Um, you know, figuring things uh, out in regards to like how people get to be the way they are in terms of behavior and how we can do the same um, in terms of success and overall uh, happiness with our lives. The um, you, you mentioned that you were in the, you're in the Navy. Now, are you full-time in the Navy or are you in the reserves or what, what's your current state? So I am actually in the reserves right now. Right after I enlisted, I opted to go right into the reserves. Okay. How long have you been in the, in the reserves? Just about two years now, two wonderful years. Cool. Just 18 more years to go. Ha ha. When did you get, make your way into Facebook advertising? Like, obviously, that's a, that's a 
new but not so new you know industry so i like i always kind of find it find it interesting that uh when people get into that particular space because it, it's such a moving target like getting into facebook advertising like as i i know that firsthand as you know facebook is throwing themselves at me with regards to ways to advertise all of my posts and my website and whatever it might be through facebook uh, none of which i know a damn thing about um so like how long how long have you been into that and what what sort do you have a particular area of focus within that practice or no oh all right so great question so um originally um your 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 audience is probably familiar with uh ty lopez um he's got a pretty big audience and he came out with this program called the social media marketing uh agency smma uh back in i want to say october of 2016 and it was it like you had to see the ads online and he was just targeting a lot of people and you know how you can travel the world and so i wasn't actually a part of that but i was um a friend of mine was and he introduced me to social media marketing and so i was already doing social media for businesses as well as you know for work and i was like let me just check this out and you know, and see what I can do with it. And, you know, make a long story short, it, it's, it, it's a lot. We, when social media, it's, uh, it's not just Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's Snapchat, um, it's Pinterest, it's, it's LinkedIn. And if, if, you know, being a solopreneur, it gets to you. It, you know, being able to handle all that and demand. And so I... Just, I am aware. Yeah, so... With that said, I really just decided to focus on one thing, and that was Facebook, because that's really where, you know, that's pretty much what started all the other social media uh, platforms. And it's it has the most, it has the biggest audience. And so with that said, just Facebook is in the top five um, websites that are visited every single day, you know, throughout the world. And so it, to me, it just made a lot of sense to transition into Facebook advertising because I'm the one thing about Facebook or pretty much at advertising that appealed to me was like I said earlier I'm always curious about how people are uh, work and I I'm always just like curious like all right so if I do say this certain thing you know like if you just say something on Facebook and somebody replies like why did this person say that and it's just being able to see their reactions and their behavior. And I was able to translate that into uh, Facebook advertising because I almost don't even really have to do it on my own. I really just have to be proficient in understanding myself and the audience. And then Facebook just takes care of, cares of the rest. So for example, if you go into the back end of Facebook, uh, the business manager, um, mm -hmm. and you can click on Facebook insights, uh, Facebook audience insights. You actually have the ability to know that, let's say, um, my buddy Ethan likes country music, but then if you, if you, you know, put in country music and like pretty much everything that Ethan likes, Facebook then realized like, all right, cool. So Ethan's not the only one that likes, likes these things, you know, that are similar to Ethan. So now you have an understanding of, okay, so maybe Ethan likes country music, but he also likes trucks. So now we can target people that like 
country music and trucks and maybe we can sell something to them. So for me, I always just found that so fascinating because in in the behavior standpoint, I get to play around with how things, how people work and, you know, get a better understanding of them and Facebook helps me do it. Well, that's, it's, it's nice that they provide that insight as well. Yeah. Just for, cause that, that's, cause that information is just that. It's gold, but it's but it's also information that you used to have to pay oh, yeah. massive amounts of money to figure out by doing, you know, research studies and focus groups and you know mall studies u- using you know using these contract out you know advertising agencies that would have to send all these people to like all the different malls throughout the country and different demographics and you know pay people ten bucks each to sit down and answer ten questions about blah 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 like that that's not. You know that that doesn't really seem to be the case anymore with it, with these this type of insight. You know, which is I guess it, it's a good or a bad thing from an advertising perspective. It's fantastic. Yeah. I know it starts to bring up a lot of questions, like a lot of privacy issues that a lot of people seem to have with the the social media platforms, which is why some people are still somewhat hesitant to provide information or to join up. Uh, but that 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 voice is getting quieter and quieter as the years go by. Absolutely. Yeah, and sure, I, that's, I'm sure. yeah, and I just want to say too, um, as Facebook, um, as a, a lot of advertisers bombard Facebook with you know ad ad spend, and people are going to get used to you know seeing these advertisements on their newsfeed, people get numb to it, and it's called the wear out effect. And so now people understand this is an advertisement. This person wants my money, so you need to be able to let's be a human being and actually care about the you know the people that you're trying to reach to and you know it goes back to that saying of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care does that make sense sure so you want you want so you want to make sure that your you know your advertising um not always is only like entertaining uh, educational but the, but at the end of the day it has to care about them and you know, there's a lot of factors that, you know, play along with, you know, being a Facebook advertiser. But I'd like to say that it has to be eye grabbing. Um, it can't just look like everybody else. And um, you, you have to care at the end of the day. You have to care about people. Sure. Now, so when you first started getting into the Facebook advertising, was that part of a career transition for you when you sort of stumbled onto it? Or was that something that you decided that you were just going to sort of experiment with for a short period of time to see if you could get anything out of it within a set time frame? Or how did you how did you get into that initially yourself? Awesome question. So Actually, it was, I'd like to say both, to be honest, because okay. um, I was doing social media marketing, but at the same time, I was also frustrated with how I felt so spread out with the demand of you know the work that I was supposed to do. And at the same time, I was getting advertised um, by, you know, by, you know, I was getting targeted by people that were actually selling their social media, uh, I'm sorry, uh, their Facebook advertising courses and so the person that actually ran the um the ad his name is dan henry and he's up he's pretty big in the facebook advertising world um and so i i just like i just loved his no bs um you know 
strategy when it comes to advertising. And so mm-hmm. what he was selling was a course on Facebook advertising. And I'm like, you know what? I want to focus more on Facebook advertising. And the, re- the and the, you know, it, um, my brain was already, my heart was already like moving towards that direction and seeing his ads and, you know, his awesome like retargeting because sometimes I just say no to ads or I'd go visit his site and watch the webinar. And then later on, it you know talk about like, hey, you just watched my webinar, and I was like, how the hell did he just do that? And so <laughs> he's I, like, how do you know that? Damn it, stop watching. Yeah. So how do you know? So I was like, all right, cool. I gotta like learn um, everything this guy's doing. And so I just took the leap, and from there, it's been an amazing ride with Facebook advertising. Nice. Now, is there any? I I know one of the things that you and I had talked about offline was how you have incorporated a new routine into your sort of going goings on, which is sort of your new morning routine. I know that's something that came up because you and I, there's a podcast that both you and I listened to, uh, the Jocko podcast that were that was kind of inspired by that a little bit, but did that happen? We'll, we'll get into the details of that in just, in just a bit, but did, did this, transition into Facebook advertising happened as part of that or before or after that time frame was all this sort of ha- going down at the same time or was it did that come after um okay so um I want to say it happened like during and here okay. let me give you the trans let, let, let me give you the time frame of like how things were were you know were going you know things were playing out in my life so um back in um I want to say June of this year I actually was not seeing a lot of success with my Facebook advertising and that you know that alone that was due to in part to my lack of execution and so with that said I was like man I have to go make some money but I still want to do this and so I went out and you know applied for positions that actually need Facebook advertisers and so with that said, I, I, um, back in the end of June, I got hired, but then I told them like, listen, I can't work yet until like end of July because I actually have to go to San Diego, uh, to do work for the Navy. Cause I was very transparent with like, Hey, um, you know, I, the Navy needs me to work for two weeks because in the reserves, you're required to do your two weeks of, uh, um, active duty. And so yeah, it's two it's two weeks two weeks a year one yes, weekend a month. Right? Yes, exactly. So it just so okay. happened to land during that time. So I was so they're like, hey, that's no problem. No, you know that's absolutely cool. It gives us time to go and you know do everything to prepare before you come work for us. And so I was like, great, I've got like a job set uh, ready uh, to go. You know to start working as soon as I come back. So now I want to say. A week before I left to go to San Diego, my tenants told me like, hey, we just sold the house on. So you have to be out of here by Monday. And I was just like, and then I had to be in San Diego by Uh, Tuesday. So uh, I was like, oh, crap. So now I it's I've got a week to like pretty much move all my stuff. And um and so like, I, which was no problem. Hey, I, you know, I had to do, I, I did what I had to do. And I told my mom and dad, like, Hey, can I just uh, crash, um, here, bef- you know, just so that I'm going to be gone for two weeks. And I just put my stuff in the basement. And so 
that's what happened. So they sold the house. I left to go to San Diego and I did my two week my two weeks over there, which was a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. then I came back and I started working. But I only worked there for five days. And then they oh, said, Yeah. So I worked there for five days and um I it, I thought it was really good. However, um I found out that while I was gone, they hired somebody uh for my position. And so I'm just like, um, I was like, I was okay, I was like, fine, all right, cool. Like, you know, there's more to the team, but I didn't realize it was more of a uh, let's see, feel each other, like this person out compared to you. And so with that, uh, yeah. Uh. So I didn't understand, I didn't realize until the end when um one day, uh, on day five, I'm looking at my phone and it said, like, hey, Nico, you just got kicked off of you know, this social media profile and this social media profile. I'm like, what the hell? So, and then, then, and then I knew, and I got the phone call and I have to say, I was pretty, I was depressed for maybe an evening. I, w- I was upset for an evening. Um, and you know, and so with that said, I was like, what the hell just happened? Like I had this thing lined up. I was going to learn more about Facebook advertising. I was going to gain more confidence. And, and so with that said, I'm here, I'm stuck here living in my parents' basement. And it kind of just like was like, ah, shit. Like, you know, it was, it was kind of rock bottom for me. And so with Mm -hmm. that said, I, I said, you know what, mom, dad, I'm not going to apply for positions right now. I'm just, give me like two weeks, three weeks tops to just like figure out my stuff. And this was already like going into August. And so, um, I told, uh, so then I went to the library. And I was just like doing researching, teaching myself new stuff, um, reading. Mm-hmm. And then I was just started thinking about the things that didn't go right in my life. And like I said earlier, um, the reason why my agency failed was because of my lack of ex- execution. And I mm-hmm. didn't instill the right habits for myself. And it just, it was like, the reason why is because I was oversleeping and I just wasn't excited about doing the things I was supposed to be doing. And so when I was at that library, these were the thoughts that were coming out of my head. And Mm -hmm. so um, I said, you know what? I need to wake up earlier. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to wake up earlier? Like, I know, like, I know every, I know, I know I do the morning routine, but the morning routine starts at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm like, that doesn't work. No, it's not, can't be like that. So I reached out to my friend, Chris, and I, I, so I told Chris, and I still have the message saved and said, Chris. I want to stay or I want to start waking up at four o'clock in the morning. And for every day I don't wake up at four, I owe you 50 bucks. And the week after that, if I don't wake up at four, I owe you a hundred for each day. So like, just think about that. Like for a second, like for week one uh, times, you know, if you miss like all seven days, that's $350. Week two, if you miss all seven days, that's $700 right there. So I, what I did was I, I tied a pain of losing money to into a habit that I wanted to create. So uh, Chris got back to me and said, and he, this is what the first thing he said was, you're cray cray. <laughs> you're cray cray. And I was like, but, uh, but okay, sounds good. So it, he started doing it as well. Um, he, and, but instead of money, he's, he had his wife on board to do uh, 50 push-ups or 50 pull-ups every time he overslept. So 
uh, the month of August was full of experiments in regards to our quote unquote, my quote unquote, uh, 4 a.m. challenge of waking up at four. And your your money one was compounding too, right? Like it was, you know, for the first time it was fifty bucks, second time it was a hundred bucks. Exactly. Like my, exactly. Yeah, now, now it was like if your friend if your friend wasn't a coward, what he should have done was he should have done the same thing with his first time fifty push ups, fifty sit ups, second time hundred push ups, hundred sit ups. Like try to he did he did he did okay yes, that's awesome did. yeah so it was so good because let's I'll be honest like I missed some days I really did. And I, I, um, I, you know, so he made a quick, uh, some, some good money and, mm-hmm. um, and there were days where I was just like, oh, I don't know if I want to tell him I missed. And so my parents kind of knew and they're like, Hey, like, you know, they, my parents called me out on it. They're like, dude, come on, man. So my parents had my support on that and it was really cool, but it was just in the shadows in August was just in the shadows for him and I, and and so with that said, I started documenting it more publicly on my Instagram and on my uh, Snapchat uh, starting okay. in September. And let, let me just go back. And the reason why I uh, got inspired, like you brought up, was because Jocko Willick does this every morning. Um, you know, he's, he's got an awesome podcast. And he does this every morning on Instagram. He posts every day that he wakes up at 4.30. And some days he wakes up earlier, like 3.30, 3 or 2.50. It's crazy. And it yeah. and the idea is like, it's discipline, man. And I lacked the discipline. And that was affecting the rest of my days. So I just wanted to go back and touch on that. But um, I started documenting it in September. Um, September 1st, if you go in my Instagram, it's Nico underscore Navarro. And if you go in September 1st, I started documenting it. Um, and just like, you know, I just, they started sharing it on my, on my Snapchat as well. And so people started noticing and they were just like, what the hell is he doing? You know? <laughs> and, and here, and, and then like, you know, I got some weird looks, but like, you're still doing that stupid thing you're doing, but yeah, I love, I love it. I love the, the people that are asking you that are the ones that are still sleeping in that aren't actually <laughs> doing anything that aren't accomplishing anything. It's like, man, are you still doing that stupid thing all the while? Yeah, I guess it depends on what stupid means to you, sir. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. So with that said, I uh, I started documenting it and maybe like day five or day 10, it was somebody like reached out to me and messaged me on, on Instagram saying like, hey, what you, you're doing, you know, their 4 a.m. challenges really inspired me. I want to do the same thing. So not only is it me and my buddy, Chris. Um, this guy who I used to go, uh, who I, um, went, uh, who I was in Navy with when we were in, uh, school, um, like reached out to me. I've never spoken to this person, but we just add each other Instagram and he reached out to me. I was like, man, this is really cool. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting out of my comfort zone and it's benefiting somebody else. And that to me, like, it's like, it's hard to say this, but it's like, if a hundred people, um, you know, looked at you weird, but it's like, that was five people that are like, man, that is gold. Like you have to focus on those five people. Now in, you know, saying that is easy. Being able to experience that is a whole nother thing. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, little by little people started like, Hey, that's so cool. You know, I got to like start waking up early too. And, um, it, and then, so a lot of people are saying like, Oh, I can't wake up at four. 
but I wouldn't wake up at this time. And to me, I was like, that is so awesome because it's not about waking up at four. It's about being intentional with your life and being the one that's taking your hands on the drivers, the, uh, you know, taking the wheel and really driving your life. And to me, that, those were kind of the lessons that I learned in my experimental phase in August that I was able mm. to then tell and share my, you know, my advice with some people that, you know, you, it, it, it starts with preparation at night. It starts with having a vision and journaling and, you know, having a morning routine. And so um, from there, it, came, it started with, um, with this one guy. And then um, uh, a friend of mine, Carlos, actually started doing it as well. And so it's so amazing because um, Carlos wanted to build the habit of waking up early because he is a solopreneur. Um, and with that said, he, I think he hit like, he was booked solid. Uh, towards the end of September and in October, and he was just killing it. And he, I know um, he was making maybe like 5K in his branding business to over over 10K by the end of September, just by, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, getting um, organized with his morning and being more intentional with with his time in the morning, and which, you know, allowed him to crush the rest of the day. Sure. Now, something something that you mentioned um, a few minutes ago about the more about the morning routine involved journaling. Yeah, I, I've I've pointed out in the past on the show that that's something that I that's something that I do as well. Um, and what the benefits of that has been for like the different types of journaling that are out there. Like there, there's a lot of different ways to do that. There's just sort of full, full on free range journaling where you just sort of write whenever, whatever. Then there's, you know, where it's a little bit more structured where you have to do it for a certain period of time or write a certain thing for a certain period of time, or maybe ask questions like the journal itself would be written in a way where it basically asks you questions that you have to answer to kind of clarify your thoughts on the day. Like what, what, what kind of journaling do you do and how, how, how frequently do you do it? Great question. So, um, I journal every morning and okay. And so let, the background to how I started journaling was, it's very interesting, and I think your audience is going to get kicked out of this. Um, I have a, uh, my mom remarried when I was 11 years old to my stepdad. And so I used to get in trouble so much when I was younger, like 11, 12 to maybe 18, 19. Um, and my, you know, my dad wasn't the, uh, I'm like the hitting type or, you know, punishing type. He was the type of guy that's like, I'm not upset. I'm not angry, but I'm just disappointed. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, damn, why can't you just be mad with me? Or, you know, can't you just like, like it's so much it's so much easier for me for you to just get pissed off. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, oh, that's so, funny. And so with that said, he actually would have me he got me a journal and I still have it. And he's like, go upstairs to your journal and write about what you did wrong and come back and show it to me. And so that's what I did. That's uh, so every time I get in trouble, um, I would write in my journal about like what I did wrong and the lessons I learned and the things I'm not going to do anymore. And so, you know, what turned out to be like something so terrible, what it looked like when I was younger, uh, turned into be something so beneficial, like, you know, at 27 years old, because um, like, so, so it's, it's just built 
built the habit of just writing my thoughts down and my feelings. And so you asked me earlier, like, how do I write in my journal? Um, and it all depends on how I feel. Um, like if, let's say like during the day, I was like, I had a thought and I didn't want to lose that thought. I would go to my journal and write on the next page and say like, okay, today, Hey, don't forget you thought, just thought about this right now. And I would leave that note on my journal so that what on the next day I'd look at it like, all right, I thought about that yesterday. Let me go expand Mm -hmm. on my thoughts so I can continue like, you know, expanding this. There's days where I do that. And then there are days where I actually just say, hey, how do I want to feel today? What's the pain I'm feeling right now? And what do I want to, I want to shine a spotlight on that pain because that pain is not going to go away. It's just going to amplify. And I want to be able to fix that pain. And I say like, what am I grateful for? And I say what my day is going to look like. And it's so important to really just paint what your day is going to look like and how you want to feel. And what the things I think are going to get in the way, because then it prepares me for what might happen. And, you know, you're already arming yourself to what, you know, to to the things that's going to happen throughout the day. And you already have a contingency plan. And I want to say this is something that I learned in Navy and through Boy Scouts is, you know, you always have to be prepared. Yeah, it's it's funny. The uh, I I have to I have to give you a lot of credit too because something that you pointed out, which I thought was an interesting, um, po- potentially an interesting dichotomy, uh, to use a Jocko phrase. Haha. Um, the the some something interesting that you said about how you started journaling was that your your dad would send you to your room and and start journaling about what it was that you you did what's interesting is there that that's risky because that could have there there's two potential outcomes to that one outcome which is the positive one that you ended up experiencing thank god was you it created the habit of the positive habit of journaling about your actions and your feelings and your day which is something that I think is incredibly beneficial to anybody that's out there listening would be to start that practice if nothing else start that practice but the 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 other the other possibility of that was that you could have just associate that that you being used as a punishment that could have associated journaling or more broadly writing to be something that is a punishment and therefore unenjoyable and therefore something that you hate doing in school and for and therefore for the rest of your life like so it was it's interesting like i i got to i got to give you credit for latching on to the positive side of that experience cuz that that potentially could have been a train wreck like it's great it's wonderful the way that it ended up but that could have been that could have ended up being bad um Super happy to see that it went the other way around because, <laughs> yeah. especially especially when it, when it comes to writing, because that's how you and I ended up meeting each other about how about we were in the same the the same course of how to start a blog that matters. Yeah, like that's how that's where that's where you and I initially met. Met and obviously you don't start a blog without you know writing. Writing exactly. No, I have to say you're absolutely right, and you know it's. Hey, you know, there, you know, as a child, there are a couple of things that, um, you know, it's, uh, I forgot, I can't think of the word, but I guess in, you polarize yourself or, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if, if you see something, you're going to do the opposite or if you see something, you're going to do it that way. And I, I'm very fortunate that, um, he was very, um, 
he he wasn't putting a lot of like emphasis on like this is for your own good. It was more it I want to say he did it out of love and respect. And it has to come from that point. And you have and as a parent, I want to say that you have there's that fine line of being able to show your kid like I'm doing this because it's for your own good. And then there's this other line where I'm doing this for your own good, but you really really show that listen, I know this is going to benefit you and it's gonna and you just have to be able to show it through your eyes and through your speech and the way you talk to your child and it's not something i can like portray vocally to somebody it ha- they have to be able to really just show it to their child that like i care about you and i think that's what yeah. my dad did yeah it's an it's interesting i i saw i saw a great quote the other day which is, which is and it's so true now now having now having two kids it's something that i didn't get before it's something that i absolutely get now and that's that children are wonderful imitators so go out and do something worth imitating mm. and that that tu- that touches on that touches on the truth of what a lot of people say about raising kids is like kids don't like kids will start to get rebellious and they'll avoid doing what you tell them to do but they will absolutely do what you do so they're these like they're always watching, they're always observing, and they're mimicking. Our brains' mi- mirror n- neurons are always working, whether we know they are or not. And those things are forming new habits, whether we know they are or not. And it's you know, consciously, if my parent, if my mother tells me to do something and I don't want to do it, I'm going to actively rebel. Mm-hmm. But if I see my mother cleaning her room, the kitchen, the bathrooms every day or every couple of days throughout the week and doesn't say anything about it, just does it. It's something where I just kind of find myself doing the same thing mm-hmm. and then it becomes a habit. And then it becomes all, all while, all while never being told to do so. Absolutely. Like it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting how that happens. Yeah. And also, um, my dad actually graduated from college with a degree in uh, in English, um, and so like he was always about like adamant about writing. And I was actually going to ask if he if he writes himself, yeah, yeah. And so he doesn't write himself so much anymore, but he you know instilled that habits for me. And I remember when I was younger, uh, young, at, you know, the same age, when I would, I when I just started typing. Right now, I can type like two hundred words a minute, but. When I was typing, Holy when crap. I was like, stop there a second, 200 <laughs> words a minute. I, I'm exaggerating, but maybe like 150, 150. But <sighs> anyway, okay, yeah. Go ahead. So with that said, when I was younger, um, he, so like when I would be typing reports and, and he would see me type, I would like type the keyboards in and, and, um, what's, like I would type it and I'd like use my just two fingers. Right. And I delete it. Mm-hmm. And I'd be so worried about like getting it right, getting it right. And so he's like, one day what he did was he turned off the the monitor for me. And this isn't like um, a flat screen monitor. I'm telling you, it's like one of those things that had the back. Like, so let's just think about that for a second. So back mm-hmm. in like 2002, I had like the, the, you know, the thick back on it. And he just turned off the monitor and, and then he's like, just start typing your essay like this. And so I would have, um, I would have a keyboard and I would, I wouldn't have the monitor. And he's like, if you mess up, that's fine. Just keep typing. 
So like he had, he built that um, habit with me. And then it came to a point where like he would actually teach me how to put my fingers on um, the keyboard itself so I can learn how to type. So like if you look at your keyboard right now, do you see that they're on the J and then there's after those little indents on your keyboard? I mean, not many people know that, but the reason why that's there is that's where your index finger is supposed to go. Yep. Yep. The J and the F. Yep. Yeah. And so like from there, it's just like building the habit of typing, of writing and and I think it, this was also very beneficial for me because English wasn't my first language. And so I really had oh, what, to... Oh, what was? Uh, it's uh, Filipino. So oh, uh, it's okay. called Visaya. Yeah. So being able to form sentences was not, the, you know, wasn't like, didn't come natural to me. And so being able to write was kind of a godsend because it was a different way of, you know, just being able to communicate. And from there, you know, the habit just continued to grow. And I'll never forget this, but like when I was in 11th grade and I wrote in my finals, I actually scored like a 99 on my English final. Um, and the only reason I got a 99 and not 100 was I, I messed up on the multiple choice, but on the writing portion, I killed it. And from then on, I was like, man, this is so awesome. Mm. So I just kept up with my writing. Now, you you mentioned you know English wasn't your first language. Now, did you grow up in the Philippines, or did you were were, were your parents just speaking it exclusively at home? I uh, I grew up in the Philippines from zero to eleven. I was there, and okay. yeah, and then you know my mom married a Caucasian male, and so you know we speak English um, exclusively at home now. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Now, but. Of the from that transition when when you came and you moved straight from there to where you are now in to the New York to the New York area. Yes. Was that was that a job transfer? Was that a just a hey, what the hell? Let's bag it and go. Like how? What brought you guys back? What? Well, not in your case back, but what brought you guys to the U.S. initially? Oh, awesome! Yeah, absolutely. So great question. Um, so my mom had me when she was very young, and you know things. She wanted more opportunity for me, and I was five years old, and uh, so I was five years old when she, quote-unquote, left me to come to America and build a life for us. So, like, I have to say, my mom is my hero, and as much as I talk about my dad, like, being, um, you know, a big influence on me, and my mom is my hero, and just the adversity that she had to face just to be here today, uh, being a well-respected uh, woman in our community, um, you, you know, it just took a lot of work. And so she left, you know, like leaving your child, I want to just say leaving your five-year-old child to come to a place you've never been to, to build a life. That's the American dream. And so, sure. with, yeah, so with that said, she, you know, left me with my grandparents from ages five to 11. And, you know, she'd come, come every year. Um, when I in, in October, because I was born in October, and she'd come celebrate my birthday, and so with that, and but you know, every time, and then she would go straight back home, straight back to America, and she did that for six years, and then you know, luckily she met my uh, my dad, and so and then and from there, you know, from and then she, you know, my grandparents took me, and they're like, hey, we're gonna go, you know, to America. Um, and bring you there so you could live with your mom. 
And it was so strange because like I was like, so I like, you know, after she left, I got attached to my grandparents. And then from there, my grandparents left. So I had to go with my mom. And so it was like such an interesting transition, um, sure. you know, of like parenthood because half my life raised my mom, half the other half uh, from five to 10, it was my mom, um, it was my grandparents. Mm-hmm. So that's how really it all started. It just wasn't all of us that decided to go. It was her and then me, you know, but to, I want to give her the credit because it took a lot of guts to just say goodbye to, you know, like to me at a very young age. Yeah, no, I would imagine. Now, and she she went straight to the New York area as well. Actually, she did not. She um she lived in Connecticut, and so yeah, she lived in Connecticut, and she lived there. And then um my dad <laughs> lived New York New York East. But anyway, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he happened to you know knew, so my mom would go to this church, and. So my dad lived in uh, Long, here in Long Island. And so he went to that church. I think he went to go with a friend or something like that. Uh, or he knew the pastor. So he decided to go to that church that Sunday. And he saw my mom. And so like the way he did it was like, hey, pastor, can I like go talk to that woman over there? You know, like I'm, you know, she, I'm interested in her. And so the pastor went to my mom. is like, hey, this, this so-and-so um, wants to speak you know, would you speak with you? Would you be okay? And from there, like they would exchange phone calls and she lived in Connecticut and he lived here in Long Island. And, and then, you know, at you know, a certain point in their, uh, their life, they, she moved down here to uh, Long Island, New York. Your parents got set up by a priest. That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Go ahead. So yeah. And that's, and that's where she, yeah. So she started, uh, she, she start, uh, she started out in Connecticut. Cool. Cool. Gotcha. All right. So let, let bring it, bring it back around uh, to sort of mo- modern day. Like the, what, what did it get back to that? Get back to that 4am challenge. Did you, did you initially set that up as with sort of a time restriction? Like were, were you saying that you were going to try this for a month and see how it goes? Or was it more of a, you know, you saw the, you saw the Jocko was doing this. You saw that it was a way of life and you're like, you know what? Screw it. This is a permanent thing. I'm making this change effective now. Go. Oh, got um, it. So like, how, how did you, how did you, how did you get that? How did you come back to that? Let's come back to that. Like how, how did you initially set that process up for yourself? Oh man, I have to pull up the email. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> so, but so, um, it, yes. So those 30 days were mm-hmm. concrete waking up at four o'clock and more, more every morning, every single day. And it was structured like that only because it allowed me to think about my day strategically and i want to say strategically because like crap i have to be awake tomorrow at four o'clock in the morning which means i have to be in bed by 9 30 or 10 so i can get at least six hours of sleep now yeah. i don't want to be making these major decisions when i wake up in the morning so now i have to go start getting my clothes ready now all right cool i need to fit in my reading time cool so i'm going to put that in from my slot from 4 15 to 4 30 and so with that said i i i wanted it to be intentional and I wanted to make sure that every like that everything that I did in the morning allowed me to win throughout the day. And so with Jocko Willick, I mean, I give him so much credit with his ability to like maintain uh, the consistency of waking up at 4:30 every morning. And so with me, 
I made it a rule that on days where I, on every day I wake up at four, but on holidays, let's say it's Thanksgiving, let's say it's Christmas day, let's say it's New Year's day, I wake up Mm -hmm. at five. So I gave myself a little bit of an extra hour just so that I, because you know, those are the times when you kind of spend it with family and you kind of, you know, you want to be able to, um, they, you don't want to be like, sorry guys, I can't um, hang out with you today because I have to be at up, I have to be in bed by now so I could wake up at four. Like you're gonna, you're gonna get those looks, and sometimes sure. it's and it's and it, not that, that it's bad to get those looks, but at the end of the day, the reason why I do this is so that I can be more effective and I can be as efficient as possible for my family. You know what sure. I mean? I mean, so, sure. I mean, day, yeah. Yeah, I mean so. the di- I mean the discipline the discipline that, that takes it 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 the the benefits of that discipline bleed through to other areas of your life. 100%. But one of the, one of the hardest one of the hardest things about committing to something like that is and this isn't this isn't to detract from you know the love that these people have for you, but when if we're just talking basic psychology they know you as you are your family and your friends know you as you are when you try to make a significant change in a behavior even if it's a relatively simple behavior like getting up earlier in the morning when you say to somebody that you're going to be waking up at four o'clock in the morning what the hell are you thinking that's nighttime you know like that that's nighttime like people don't even view 4 a.m as the morning that's the middle of the night no- that's the middle of the night you know that's like you might as well be waking up at one o'clock in the morning well yeah technically that's morning too you know i mean yeah. what that's it, it is i mean what whether it's a new way of eating like in my case like a big transition that hit me several years back probably almost going on four years now is that i have to eat gluten-free i turns out that i've got a gluten like as they celiac. describe it, the non-celiac gluten sensitivity that's running running a rampage through the country right now. Um, like that's something that I have. So I had to give up eating gluten, you know, in, in all of its forms almost four years ago now. This this spring will be four years. And I swear to God, man, you, you try you try to explain that to fam- family or friends. They look at you like you're out of your goddamn mind. Like they, they're like, well, what do you what do you mean you can't? You just, you know, or can't you just have a little bit or like, can't you just kind of treat yourself every now and then? I'm like, well, let me see. If you've got cancer is like it's like if you if you've got if you're constantly if you're a- actively fighting lung cancer it's like well isn't it okay to have a cigarette every now and then just to kind of treat yourself and you know you'll you'll figure it out i'm like no for the right, love of god no like but it, it's just it's so hard for people to understand and i'm not just t- talking about you know in my case my diet whether it's you know wanting to work out every day whether it's wanting in your case wanting to wake up at four o'clock in the morning like that concept is so foreign to the average human like that concept is so foreign to the average person who who let's face it works a night is generally used to a nine to five job yeah. not greater than 80 percent of the population of the world is on your typical nine to five schedule so when, when you say getting up that early in the morning well, well why like i understand if you have to be to work at 6 a.m but if you don't have to be to work at 6 a.m why the hell do you want to get up at four like what why i don't understand and they are not at all shy at telling you that that's very weird. Like yes. we are very, 
We are very tribal. We are very tribal creatures. We are we are higher primates and no more, and we are upper primates and no more. So, like when we do something that's sort of out of the pattern of our tribe or out of the normal patterns of our species, like hmm, everybody just like you. I like how you said they kind of give you the look. It's like, uh, what's 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 going on with him? He, he's. He, 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 he's looking a different color. He's, he, he's, he smells different. Like here's something, something's just strange. And they look at you as if something's strange. Yeah. It's like something's, uh, something's up there. Like, uh, yeah. What it, has that, has that been a little bit of your experience, whether it be with your family, your friends or whatever, like outside of your friend that told you, that told you flat out that you were crazy. Um, besides that, like, was that kind of a phase that you went through a little bit? Oh, a hundred percent, man. You couldn't have uh, nailed it better on the head. So uh, my friend that said that called me a little crazy. I have to give him credit because he joined me, you know, so he's like, this is awesome. Let's do it. And so with that said, um, at the end of the day, it has to come down to communication and and so and, and managing expectations. So what I what I mean by that is um, let me. So when I so when I enlisted in the Navy, I was gr- about to graduate college. So I enlisted um, in May uh, and I'm sorry, in April. And I was about to graduate college in May. And so, like, great, you're about to have a college degree and you can go get a job, you know, and, you know, you're, you can go out there. And I'm like, I'm not, no, I, I'm not ready for that. I need to, like, do something else. And so I, you know, the Navy, I, you know, this opportunity came. And so I literally, um, I told my mom, I was like, hey, I'm looking to join the, no, I didn't tell her that. I said, hey, where's my passport? And she goes like, why? And she's like, because I'm going to go to the recruiter because he needs it. And then so like, uh, and she like freaking out. And so then, <laughs> so and then, and then my dad called me not five minutes later. And he's like, your mom just started, just called me and he started freaking out. What the hell are you doing? And so, you know, these are one of the moments that we were talking about earlier where like they, they tell you don't do something and you do the opposite. This is one of those moments. And so, <laughs> and so with that said, I, I, so I enlisted, right? I enlisted into the Navy and, and so I, and then, so the day I enlisted, they were, it, they, they went to um, my aunt's house in Maryland, actually right by you, by Salisbury to celebrate Easter over there. And I stayed behind to because i had school and i enlisted into the navy so i was like you know what i think it'd be really cool just to go drive down there and you know just see them for easter i think they'd really appreciate that appreciate it well i drove five hours down there and they barely spoke to me <laughs> they oh, so, yeah so they were so upset um and then that's because and i want to say they were upset because of the the idea of what the military you know, military is war, military is death. It's not like, it's not good. Like, you know, you're going to die. Um, and you know, that's, that is, you know, the media portrays it that way. And it doesn't talk about the adventures that you have, the brotherhood that you have, that you create. And so they actually, so like, they actually didn't talk to me for a good two weeks when I enlisted in the Navy. And so it was like, it was very awkward at home, but as you know, as they got used to the idea, 
of like, okay, so this is the reality. He enlisted. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, they started opening up more. And I started telling him like, mom, dad, I'm an IT for the Navy. I am the nerd of the Navy. I'll be in a computer room, like taking care of like, you know, I'll be in an air conditioned room, you know, this, this, and this. And they started opening up to the idea of it, of, of it happening. And, um, and then, so they started like, um, it's like, it, it's everything that's, you're not, you're not, it's the unknown. You don't know. So you're scared. And so with that said, I, this is so funny. When I graduated from boot camp and 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 they drove over to Chicago to see me graduate, um, they were like the proudest parents you could possibly ever <laughs> see. So from like just think about like nine months ago, from like I can't even look at you, I can't even talk about talk to you because of what you just did, to like I'm just so proud that you accomplished this one thing. It's to it's about communication. Uh, to the people that you love, it's about setting those expectations and being crystal clear about the benefits that you're going to get, and um, and it has to come from a understanding, and it has to come from love. Because at the end of the day, when you're having these conversations and you're bickering back and forth, nobody's winning, and it's just going to continue that those feel that harbor of like betrayal and like, or you know, just the four man challenge. It's like those looks that you get. You're, it's just going to continue to come if you come at it and be like, well, this is my life. I'm going to do it my way. You know, that doesn't really help the situation. And so not at all. So with that said, it has to be like, you, you also have to be, I'm just going to continue doing me and just watch how I grow. And when they see that, they're like, oh, okay, it makes more sense. And it comes to be, uh, to, it'll be something inspiring to them. And then they want to jump on board. So that's yeah. what I have to say. Yeah, I I I can second that. And it, it's it's one of those things where pre- preparation and communicate preparation and communication matter more than almost anything else. Like and especially especially the stigma about the military, which is just I don't like I hate to like I hate to sound you know, kind of like almost anti-parent with these comments, but like it's joining the military just seems to be one of those points where, especially here in, I'll jokingly say the West out, you know, here in the U in the U S and, you know, a lot of Western Europe, whatever it might be. It's like, everybody says that they love soldiers. Everybody says that they love artists everybody says that they love dancers but god damn i hope my kid's not one of them oh my gosh that's so you know it's like it's one of those things where like it's the like the proudest the the proudest moment you know like the the most amazing the the proudest anybody can feel is when they see and hear about the acts of heroism from an american soldier but Christ, as long as it's not my kid, you know, because I want my kid to be an accountant. I want my kid to be a doctor. I want my kid to be a, you know, in look at your case, it, a, a social media marketing, like the runner of a social media marketing agency. Like that's real. That's a real thing. Like that's a real job. 
Yeah. But if you say that you want to, if you, you graduate high school or you graduate college and say, no, I'm like, I want to put my skills to the test and I want to join the Navy. Oh my God. It might, it might as well as if, if you say, it's like, you know what, I'm going to take this $150,000 education and I'm going to take a job as a cashier. Like it's almost, it almost sounds like they, they feel the same way. And that's terrifying to me. Like that, that's, you know, I understand, I understand that there's risks associated with joining the military, but God damn, man, like the, they're the, what you can learn from those experiences are some, is something that you cannot get anywhere else on the planet. And it's just, it just seems like it's one of those vanity things is like, it's like everybody loves them. Everybody admires them. Everyone is so proud of them and will protect them to the ends of the earth. Just, I hope, just, I hope it's not my kid, you know, God, that pisses me off. I'm sorry. You touched a nerve with that one. Yeah. It's like that. That's something that always bothers me. Like it's the same with art. Like I remember back in. I think it was episode 18 and back in episode 18 of the show, I interviewed Joe Hoffberg, who is a traveling international Lindy hop dance instructor. And she pointed this, this point out about the arts where like, if you go to certain certain, uh, like other cultures outside of the U S it's that feeling with art or like where if you're, you know, like, parents are proud that their children are artists like they're they're an integral part of society they they have an incredible value to the advancement of civilization like but here in the US it art is something she pointed out is like art is something that rich people consume but it's almost an embarrassment it's like oh god i'm sorry i heard that your daughter is an artist you know, it's like, oh, come on, man. And just give is like give these kids like the the every the the world needs artists, the world needs soldiers. And oh, by the way, getting back to the military, the likelihood of you, Nico, no offense, if you like the likelihood of you dying in a in an operation is I'd say probably pretty goddamn close to zero. You know, it's not like you're a a. It's not like you're a seal. B. You're not army infantry. You're not a ranger. Like there are there are jobs within the military where that percentage will tick its way up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But with what you're doing, maybe not so much. Like we don't live in the military days where we drop we drop two million. You know where we drop two million soldiers into a frozen tundra and tell them to march that way towards the machine gun nests. No. Like we no. we don't we don't live in that world anymore. And it's so this is actually you know touching on that. It's like when you think about what age we're in, we're the age of information. Like the everything is fought online and communication even before somebody pulls the trigger. And so I just you know so that, that you're absolutely on points with that I I I guess the word is stigma in regards to um, the military and and artists and and I want to say even like musicians because God forbid you make your living off as a musician like you know you can't like what do you think you are Justin Bieber like you know to, mm-hmm. like you know like no like there's people out there that aren't as big as you know the, the Biebs but they're still like living their life living their dream there are yeah. there's people that are tennis players that aren't making bank like Roger Federer. But they get to live their dream and they might win some tournaments here and there. But like, you know, there are those people. But 
Um, you know, we're just so wired for achievement and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you tie that with comparison and negativity, that's when we lose. So true. Yeah, it's interesting. Like it's it's okay for it's okay for your kid to spend too much for an undergraduate degree and then get out and become a social worker working in an office making $35,000 a year for quite literally the rest of their lives. But it's not okay for them to play professional tennis, be not that good, but to make between 30 to $40,000 a year playing a sport that they absolutely love. But that's not okay. Like that's not okay. It's it's like, well, you know, you're not you're not you're not Roger Federer. Who the hell do you think you are? Why don't you go out and get a real job? All the while, they're like it's kind of, it's kind of like people. It's it's the it's kind of like the thing about people that play professional baseball or professional football. It's like it's like who do you think you are? You're is like you're not that good. You're not going to be a starter for the Yankees. You're just going to be making the league minimum. I'm like the league minimum is a half a million goddamn dollars. I'm like you, <laughs> like how like you got to be good, but how good do you need to be to be able to pull in a half a million dollars playing football as compared to if you're willing to work in a behind a desk at an, in an office job, how good do you have to be at that to be able to pull in a half a million dollars a year? It's like, stop, stop with the state, stop with the stigma and under, understand the whole picture. I mean, especially if money is the thing, which seems to be yeah, the case it's, with it's death Western. Yep. Yeah. It seems to be the case. It's like, well, it's like, I don't like, like soldiers don't make a lot of money. Artists don't make a lot of money unless they're great. Like, you know, musicians don't make a lot of money unless they're great, but it's so funny. Like the point that you made about made out about Justin Bieber, like it's perfectly a, it, you're, you can be, you're perfectly capable of making a living producing music. If you have less than 100 million Twitter followers, it is actually possible. It is actually possible. It does help, but it is actually possible, especially in the world today. Yeah. The, like you, you mentioned, you mentioned that because, you know, ro- let's rewind 20 years ago. That wasn't the case. You know, if you were, an, if you were an artist, if you were a photographer, pre, if you were a professional pre Instagram photographer, you had to get picked. You had to get picked by people to hire you and pay you an enormous amount of money to shoot their events for you to be able to be a professional photographer. No one would see your work unless they hired you to to photograph their events. Now, just freelance. Go out, do cheap or free jobs, throw your amazing stuff up on Instagram, and people are like, oh my God, who is this person? I want to hire them. Absolutely. strangers can find you now that's one of the areas where i do have to say that social that's one area of careers that social media has just exploded is professional artists professional musicians mm-hmm. photographers like these are people that had to live in hiding before because you didn't know who they were unless you hired them and they're like well they well we have a portfolio i'm like yes you have a portfolio I, as somebody that's looking for a wedding photographer, has to find you, find your name, go to your webpage, if you had a webpage, look at your portfolio, and then make a decision. But if 5,000 people like an Instagram photo, that's populating its way through your social media feed, and you're going to see it. It's like, oh, that's neat. What's that? You can... You can find people, and you can find service providers so much easier today. Absolutely. And and YouTube, I mean, just think about um, the stars that the careers 
that uh that started and skyrocketed just from YouTube alone. Like yeah. I uh so like for example, um uh, there's so many YouTube musicians that a lot of major labels are actually trying to sign and they're and then you know, like you know, I just want to say like 20 years ago, people want to get signed by major record labels. Now it's the opposite. I have a YouTube yeah. channel and 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 then the the record labels want to come to me and say and say I wait I want you to sign with me and they actually had the power to say no because it's autonomy be able to say no because I've got this audience already that already loves me and I don't have to sign uh, a re- um you know uh, uh, you know a contract with you I don't you don't get to tell me what kind of music I make I get to do it and people and I have the platform to share it with the world. And so that's, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Amanda Palmer is actually a really great example of a musician that sort of fits that bill. I don't know if you're familiar with her at all. Not. Um, she was, her music is not at all my cup of tea, but um, I heard her interviewed on a podcast a few years back and I was just, I was fascinated by her story and she releases just as an example, she releases all of her music for free. She does not charge for any of her music and a hundred percent of her income comes from online sources like Patreon or a donation link through her website. That's a, that's her exclusive source of income. And, you know, she releases all of her music for free. She doesn't sell albums. She doesn't sell singles. She doesn't sell any of that kind of stuff. And like when she, when she travels, and when she travels for concerts, she goes to couch, she does, she couch surface surfs. It's like she goes to couchsurfing.com and finds places to stay at, or she'll shoot out a Twitter post is like, Hey, coming to Boston for coming to Boston for a show next week. Um, can anybody host me and eight people? And she gets hosted by fans or whatever. Like, I mean, that's a, that you can, you couldn't do that. If you were oh. signed by a major contract label, you is like, you're not allowed to stay, stand out there in the crowd. We need to have a security detail. You know, you need to have a security detail. You need to have the floor above and below you booked. So some crazy fan doesn't come through the floor. You have to, you know, like all, all this insane stuff that of course comes out of, comes a hundred percent out of the revenue that you're generating from your product and your music, you know, it's like, but they can dictate it because that's how these contracts are structured. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I, I don't want to, I know, I know you need to get back to your day, so I don't want to keep you to keep you terribly longer. But one um, thing that I wanted to kind of get back to you is the, the 4am challenge that you did. Yes. Can you, for anybody that's looking to do either that particular thing or whatever the thing happens to be, like they want to try and experiment with something. They, you know, they've heard that eating vegan is interesting. They've heard that eating a hundred percent carnivore diet is interesting. They've heard that, you know, kettlebell swings in the morning is great. Or they're, you know, s- sending handwritten notes to their friend to old friends that they haven't talked to in a while is a good habit to get. Whatever the habit happens to be, like. Can you provide some, like, how did you stick with it? Like, Absolutely. this wasn't just you. Absolutely. Like, can you get, can you give some pointers to people if they want to do like their own 30 day challenge or something like it? You've um, got it. Ways to make sure that they stick with it. Absolutely. All right, cool. So, um, first I have to say, this is so important vision. It starts with a vision to really, to see what you want the 30 days at the end of the 30 days, 
You want to be able to say, this is how I feel. This is what it, it looks like. And you chase after that feeling. So having that vision for yourself is super important. Number two, um, communicate. Communicate with your family. Communicate with somebody that you trust that this is one of you, what you want to do for the 30 days. And I would love and say like, hey, I would love your feedback. I would love your accountability. And I, if you can, I'd really appreciate it if you can check up on me to see how I'm doing. And so, and also have some stakes. Put, you know, be courageous enough to put yourself out there and share what it is that you want to do. Because at the end of the day, you know, it, it leads back to you and your happiness. And it's not about those looks that you get from people. But it's the looks that you get from the people that feel inspired. You know, you have to be able to say, like, this person's giving me a weird look. This person's giving me, like, I want more from you. Like, thank you for doing what you're doing. Those are the yeah. people that you can focus on. And be crystal clear on that person. Because at the end of the day, you know, for me, I think about my little brothers. And I say, I want to be the best brother and the best example for them. Um, while there's, they're this young age of 10 and 14, cause they're super impressionable. And so you mm -hmm. have to be able to, um, have that. Why? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's like a stake, you know, that what are the stakes If that, you know, if I don't follow through, these are, this is what's going to happen, or I'm just going to be the same person that I was. Um, so have those, have the vision, get, communicate with somebody, have some stakes. And this, and then tie it to a pain. And what I'm trying to say is like, what's painful in your life right now? Like for you, in your case, you, you know, gluten um, was a pain for you. It's, you know, giving you stomach issues for me. Um, it was the failure of my business because I lacked the accountability and I lacked the discipline. And so that mm -hmm. was the, for, you know, that was my pain. And, um, and just like hone in on that and don't avoid it. Because when you avoid it, it amplifies. But when you shine a light through it, it, it helps for you, know, for you to solve it. And, and in order you know, to, to first recognize that there's a uh, to, to know that there's a problem, you first have to understand that there is a problem. And, um, and something simple, something simple. Um, this is something that I learned from James Clear, from jamesclear.com. Um, it's called the Seinfeld Strategy. And this, uh, uh, the Seinfeld strategy is so cool. Um, so this, so the story goes like this: uh, this young guy um, went to you know a meet and greet with Seinfeld, and he told Seinfeld like, "Hey, I really want to start going into comedy, and I want to know do what you do." And so he and so he goes, "Okay, so get a printout, a a thirty day calendar, and just start writing jokes." And just start writing jokes, dedicate this amount of time to it. When you do it, put an X. And so your job for that piece of paper, for that calendar, is to do not to not break the chain of X's that you have. And that to me really helped. I have in my in my uh in my day planner, I have X's for every day I wake up at four o'clock in the morning, and my only job is to not break that chain of X's. So that's my last um, advice is uh, implement the Seinfeld strategy. That's a great idea. 
Super cool. All right. So, hey, Nico, one last question. I think that's a solid place to wrap up. One last question that I've got for you is just the is the one uniform question that I asked to all the members everybody that comes on the small moves podcast. And that is this, um, what purchase have you made in recent memory of a hundred dollars or less? That's had the most dramatic impact in some area of your life. This can be related to this can be related to some of the stuff that you've been talking about, or it could be the day planner that you were just referring to. Um, it could be something completely unrelated, but you know, with the concept of the show being what are the small things that people can do that can eventually make a more dramatic impact given time for implementation. What purchase have you made of under a hundred bucks that's made the biggest difference for you that you can recall? Uh, uh, Jason, you nailed it on the head. It's that um, my day planner that I got, you know, being able to sit down. It's uh, guys, it's called uh, Panda Planner and you can find it on Amazon for, I think, 19 bucks or 20, uh, you know, 20 bucks. And I and it's, you know, one one planner lasts you six months. And the first, uh, you know, it the first part of it, it gives you a 30 days, then it breaks down to a week. And the rest of the pages go down each day. And so for me, if I have something going on, um, you know, it starts with what am I grateful for? Then it says, what am I excited for? Then what is an affirmation that I have? What I want to focus on today? What is the exercise I want to do? And I write on this every single day and it helps me plan my day just, you know, to crush it. And so I actually write the day before, the night before. So that I don't ever have to plan out my day because I already planned it out last night. So it's all about like conserving that brain power and using everything you have, you know, just be as prepared as possible to crush your day. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Nico, this has been awesome, man. Great Thank to catch you. up. And thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Hope yeah, you guys get something good out of it. Yeah, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show. I really enjoyed that chat with Nico. I hope you did as well. Before you click off, I wanted to give you a quick heads up and ask for a quick favor to go on to iTunes and leave an honest review for the show on the iTunes platform. That really helps me find other and new listeners for the show. iTunes uses those reviews to help sort of guide people that are searching for podcasts to find my show. So that would be really helpful for me. And also, if you wouldn't mind leaving me a comment on the community Facebook page, that's smallmoves.co forward slash community, and give it a like and or a follow and or a comment. Let me know what you thought about this conversation with Nico or with how the show is going in general. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast, and I will talk to you next time around. You got this. You got this.